Welcome, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast, where you'll fall in love with local seasonal blooms even more by hearing the stories from flower farmers new and experienced. I'm your host, Rochelle, from Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. Welcome. Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's Flower Farmer Chat. I had the privilege of talking with Crystal and Marlene from 2K's Flower Farm in the Flathead Valley of Montana. They have such a beautiful farm there in Montana, and they're really doing it all from agritourism to farm events, wedding florals, florist buckets, and so much more, and I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation. Welcome back, friends. It's been a while since we've had a Flower Farmer chat and I'm excited. I say that every time, but I am. I've got a mother and daughter duo here from 2K's Flower Farm in Montana. We've got Marlene and Crystal. Welcome to the podcast, ladies, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. We start off every episode just learning a little bit more about you and your journey to flowers and learning a little bit more about your flower farm and your business. So I'm going to kick it over to you to explain. Sure. So uh, we are 2K's Flower Farm. The name, which we get asked all the time since it's Crystal and Marlene, is our middle name. We are both Marlene K and Crystal K. So that is where the name came from. We grow on a fifth generation farm in northwest Montana. So if you know where Glacier Park is, we can see Glacier Park from our farm. And our farm traditionally has been your traditional crops. Um, Like right now, the other field out here is canola. And so we've also had ranching at some point. So it's been more traditional crops. And in, I guess it was 2019, our garden, we started transitioning more to flowers. And I think you were the one, mom, that said, I just want to grow all flowers. (laughs) (laughs) Like we don't need all the veggies, like let's grow more flowers. And so that was 2019. Mm -hmm. And so then 2020 happened and um, we all know what happened in 2020. And we had all of these flowers and a community that even though we weren't as shut down as the rest of the country, there was still a lot of social distancing going on in Montana. We had people that just wanted to get out and have experiences. And so we created a flower stand out here on the farm. And we're three miles off of the highway on a dirt road and we didn't know if anybody would come. And they came. They came. (laughs) Thank goodness. And towards the end of that season, we had a florist, a local florist stop by. And like, I think you, mom, were passing by the stand for some reason and she flagged you down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I want... I want this. <laughs> and so Savannah at Forage and Floral was kind of how we made the step from just this um, flower stand to, oh, we can actually do a little bit more with this. Our flower stand has always just been a self-service stand and it's just worked out beautifully. People stop by and grab some flowers and it's just a fun way to share. Yeah. Do you guys stock the stand every single day or do you narrow in on just the weekends? So in that first season, we definitely figured out what days were most popular and so we are open Friday through Sunday those were the most popular days so and we were lucky enough that we had electricity out there my um, stepfather was smart enough to put electricity out there not knowing that this is what it was going to be for but just had it out there and so we have an old time cooler that mom picked up for free (laughs) out of Glacier Park I love to do that (laughs) and um, we cut a hole in it and put in an air conditioner and you know painted it pink yeah painted it pink it does get hot here in Montana 
Montana, like summer's 90 degrees. So, you know, the flowers out there appreciate a little cool. So yeah. And then we started selling to the florist here in the valley in 2021, more so. Um, we have a amazing community of florists who are just as passionate about local flowers as we are. And so we are incredibly blessed to have that. We also are a destination wedding location with Glacier Park. So we have a lot of elopements. And so not only are our florists getting a lot of orders for flowers, but we start started getting orders for wedding flowers. And so we also do retail weddings. We do more of the a la carte and we don't do full service. We have plenty of brides who are willing to come out to the farm and pick up their designs. And so that frees up our weekend because that was important to us was for the flowers to not consume our weekends more than they already do. <laughs> <laughs> and then one last avenue for our flowers that we have is, I think it was in 2021? 2021, yeah. We had two agritourism events where we invited our community to the farm and it was a ticketed event and they could come and get a tour of our flowers and then they had the opportunity to go out and do a u-pick and make their own bouquet and that was such a huge hit that we did I think seven events last year we're gearing up even more um, this year we're kind of in a transition period like from the half acre that we're currently growing on we just are moving into a four acre fenced area and so we are working our tushes off trying to get that square away. And so 2023 is kind of a transition year between our two growth spaces. Wow. That is a ton of growth within what is that like three years? Mm -hmm. Congrats, ladies. That's amazing. I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll start with the fenced area. Let me guess. You have deer? We do oh. have deer. Yes. But also, um, <laughs> yes, we do have a lot of deer. We are in a rural setting, even though we're about 15, 20 minutes from downtown Kalispell. We are very rural. We have farms all around us. We're located on the backwaters of the Flathead River. And so we get a lot of deer that come through. So not only do we have the deer, but we also have experienced over the years with the flower stand, people not fully understanding that the farm isn't open to the public all the time. And so mom will go out and there'll be people in her yard. And, in the hoop houses. Yeah, in the hoop houses. <laughs> and um, I understand they're excited and, you know, listening to your podcast and other podcasts, it seems like this is an issue a lot of people are having. And so by putting up this fenced area with gates, we're ensuring that we aren't having visitors when we don't want them. That is an excellent point. So you guys live on the farm. Yes. So that's kind of a challenge that my husband and I have and something that, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit more about. We live here and he is like, I don't want a lot of people out here, which limits me because there's so many opportunities that I could do, but he doesn't want that. And so I have to respect that and respect that, you know, I've got kids here too. So I've kind of just stuck with like the roadside stand and then I do like small events with my Freckle Bloom Flower Club. But talk a little bit more about that and so you guys live there on the farm and how you manage and are going to manage that moving forward if you don't mind. Sure. So mom and I both live on the family farm and then my uncle also lives on the family farm too. Right now I, I think it's just kind of an occasional thing but we want to stop it before it becomes a thing. 
we we like our privacy during you know our off time and also it's to protect the investment that we have out there so that people aren't tromping through you know our investment and with that said what kind of insurance do you guys have because this is something i've run into where you know we have a lot of other things and finding an umbrella policy that works is uh, has been really challenging for me so i'm just kind of curious if you don't mind digressing for a moment about what kind of coverage do you guys look at for having the agro-tourism? We went to our insurance agent and we're like, this is what we're doing. It wasn't easy. Um, there's a lot of questions they ask when you have liability on your on your property. And it's kind of a little bit more complicated with us because part of it, half of it is on my daughter's and half of it is on mine. So finding a liability that would cover both areas was a lot of discovering between insurance companies, you know, what they will provide for you. It's not cheap. <laughs> That's another thing that I'm running into is it is super expensive. Mm. So weighing that option of like, if you do a U-cut, I have some farms around here where they do a dollar a stem. It's like, how can you afford to do a dollar a stem when the insurance is potentially $9,000? Like, wow, yeah, doesn't cut it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have the $9,000 sticker tag, but that's where we want to be moving to is towards the agritourism. I think our goal is to find an insurance company that will insure you during the months that we're open. And that's what we're struggling with right now is that they want full year coverage and we don't have people out here, you know, other than April, May, June, July, August, September, half the year. I think that for listeners and yourself is starting with your current insurance person. And we're lucky enough that we had somebody in the Valley that we could actually go and sit down with and be like, this is what we're doing. And then just having them listen and just try and figure it out. I think it's just starting the conversation. They're not very familiar with it, right? Like agritourism is kind of a new business that's kind of exploding. And so they also are trying to figure out just like we're trying to figure it out. I think it's just talking and getting different input yeah. from different folks. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Is And like you said, it's a whole new ball game that most agents like have no idea about. They're like, what is a flower farm? I got that a couple times. I'm like, Okay. Agent, um, he specializes in farming. So that that helped. Yeah. So you're going to be doing kind of more agritourism, but going back to the floristry side. So how do you kind of plan your crops based on you've got the florists that are wanting, I'm imagining more blushes, more whites, whereas your retail customers might want more color, more diversity. So how do you guys kind of plan for that? We just grow a lot of lot of different things. <laughs> Honestly, the the you pickers, nobody's ever going to come to a farm and be like, ew, like I don't like any of these. They're, that's never going to happen, right? They are just blown away. Well, honestly, we fulfill our florists first and, you know, take their needs out first. I'm curious, what are the colors and the different flowers that your florists are looking for? And then how do you kind of like, okay, this is for florist customers and this would be more for our you pick and keeping the you pickers out of your florist section if that's how you've got it divided up. 
So we don't have it divided up that way. Our florists get an email on Thursday with our availability for the following week. They get it back to us anytime between Thursday and Sunday. Then Sunday morning, we will start harvesting the items that can go into the cooler that can handle it. We'll finish harvesting like the zinnias and anything that can't or doesn't like going in the cooler. We'll finish those on Monday. So then all of our U-picks are held on Wednesday nights after work. So by that point, our florists are taking taken care of for you know for that week and then after the you pickers leave on Wednesday we then go and inventory what is there and what will be blooming you know through the weekend like just kind of and over time you get better estimating and we're not perfect at it yet but we then put out the email Thursday morning at nine the cycle kind of continues. I love that. Thank you. Now I'm running into this. This year has exploded for me. I'm like speechless about just the demand that I've been asked from not only customers, just like the weddings, and then I've got my CSA. And I know you guys have a subscription as well. So how do you plan for all of this volume of flowers and continuously? Like we've had such a cool spring. So I'm curious to know what your weather been like too that everything is delayed and I'm just like (laughs) and I've had to rely on some of my flower farmer friends to help me fill the gaps because I don't have any tunnels and this year I have a small greenhouse that I grew in and it was a complete disaster I'm like dude I don't know if I want to grow in tunnels I'll leave that to somebody else like I'm learning that I can't do it all I don't want to do it all like I still want some balance in my life and sanity (laughs) and so Yeah, this year I'm learning I gotta have these connections so I can meet demand. So I'm curious, how are you guys doing that to meet all of that demand? You know, I I think one, you just kind of learn over time. And I'm talking like we've been doing this a long time, which we haven't. But I've learned that I'm not taking any weddings until the end of June because we're not going to have the amount of and we do have two hoop houses. We have two 30 by 60 hoop houses, which one is full of dahlias. Um, so that we can get the jump start on that because we are zoned 5A, 5B. We're right on the, like if you look at the map, our farm is like right in the middle. So one of our hoop houses is dahlias and the other one was planted with cool flowers last fall and they are just now starting to bloom. So the coral dianthus are in there, some canterbury bells, larkspur, Oralea. So going back to your original question, we have some amazing fellow growers in the valley. And so like you, um, we can tap into that if we need to, because we, we do have a, a thriving flower farming community here in the Flathead Valley. So, which is awesome. Now, do you guys have a collective in the area? Or also a, a question about like, is there a larger wholesaler that florists go to? And how do you guys interact with them there? And what has kind of been the perspective of the florists now that they have more local growers? So prior to us coming onto the market, there were, there still is a local wholesaler that travels up and I'm not sure how many farms are in that little group but they definitely took care of some of our bigger florists here in the valley there was a start of a collective here in the valley with the smaller growers we with our expansion are the largest of the growers here in the valley and so you 
got some that are probably growing on I, I guess their like, backyard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you got, and so they were trying to pull together a collective for themselves, but I think I'm noticing that more of them are gearing up more towards CSAs instead of trying to go into the wholesale. Um, I hope I'm not misspeaking for them. That's just kind of what I think I'm noticing with what they're doing. The Montana Cut Flower Association, um, I'm currently the secretary treasury for, and so our group is across the state, which what Montana is what, the fourth largest state, I think, in the United States. We're quite spread out. And uh, we had our first conference last October. And it was really awesome to get, I think there was like 65 of us that made it to the conference. And it was amazing. We had speakers come in about soil health, pests. Uh, we had a florist come in from the East Coast that kind of talked about just sourcing local. So Montana, we have quite a community of flower growers that are trying to supply the demand that not only I guess Montana's feeling, but you're feeling in Oregon too, of people wanting a ton of flowers. And so we're trying to fill that demand because shipping in Montana is horrible for flor- florals. They get delayed, you know, four hours away and then, you know, all of that. It's just interesting as I'm continuing to talk with different folks across the country about how the models are really different. But then again, at the same time, is the more local flowers that we're putting out there, the more we're sharing our story, the more appreciation they're getting. And it's really, like I say at the end of every podcast, all boats are rising thanks to the florist community that really has embraced us and just our local communities seeing how fresh our flowers are and And you said, especially in those areas where it's hard to get product to, we're dealing with a perishable product. So, I mean, some of the flowers, like even just taking them from my field and delivering them to my CSA customers, like I get broken heads. Imagine like a whole truck full of flowers. And so it's just exciting to see it. You know, fresh flowers rather than flowers that come from wherever they come from. (laughs) Local growers have been good on educating people on that and they're, they're being the quality that they can get out of a local grower. And we've definitely been blessed here in the Valley with florists who really do appreciate local product. And well, I think most of our florists are local people that have been around a long time Mm -hmm. and, and know that supporting each other is important. There are shops that have been in business for a long time. I will say like going back to Savannah, that one that stopped at the flower stand, she has been huge supporter of us, but also a safe place for us to go and be like, I'm not sure how I'm cutting this um, is the length like and she was very open and very genuine with her knowledge of like no this is typically how we get it from the wholesaler and so just having that because it is helping us with colors colors that are going to be supposedly you know the favorites for next year and 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 I guess going back to your question as to how do we do that I do check in with all of our florists come like November December and Mm -hmm. I'm like what are you seeing for next year Mm -hmm. right like so we're still ordering seeds at that point and so that way we can make sure that we're having the seeds in that time period or what trends they are seeing. I've got a lot of brides that have approached me recently and I'm finding even like with prom, I tried advertising a month ahead of time and it was literally the week of prom people were reaching out to me. We have a society where Amazon delivers in a day to some people within an hour to some others and so there's just this mentality out there that everybody can just snap their fingers and get whatever they want. And that's why I think it's so important that
that we all share our journey and why I've really tried to educate anybody who knocks on my door to ask me for flowers, especially for like these events, is that I'm dealing with Mother Nature. I can try to plan as much as possible. Like I have a a whole bed of poppies that I need for next week and it's not going to (laughs) happen because it's been so cold. Our spring and winter has lasted forever. And so that's why just educating everybody is so important so that they do realize that it takes time and I'm not growing, you know, a field of purple flowers when somebody comes to me and says, I'm getting married in a month. Can you give me all these purple flowers? And I'm like, yeah, sorry, it takes months, if not a year to plan for something like that. So along that line, one of the things that I think just happened through the years of especially weddings, you get the same questions over and over again, what's blooming at this blah, blah, blah date. And so I started to streamline this. So we personally use HoneyBooks as a software for weddings. And one of the things that you can do in HoneyBooks is create an email that goes out as soon as they send you their information, right? Like, so I have a form that they fill out about their wedding, what they want. And then this email automatically goes to them. And part of that email is like, Hey, we might be out tending flowers right now, but we're going to get back to you real soon. But here's some frequently asked questions to help you understand a little bit more about the farm. And part of that is talking about, you know, mother nature is our boss. You can't ask for flowers, like a specific flower. We will try and fill your vibe and color scheme, but we're not promising you hydrangeas in October. Like that kind of thing. Also just going into the fact that we don't deliver flowers. I've also written a few blog posts about what typically is blooming, you know, May and June, what's blooming July and August. And they can go and reference that to kind of get a better idea because we have a lot of couples that aren't from Montana. Because we're a destination, they might be traveling from California who has a much different growing season than us. And so they're a little surprised when they find out that we don't have XYZ at this point in the year. And so I've really just tried to take all of the questions that we get asked all the time and put it in a format that I don't have to keep having these same conversations with different people. That's an excellent point. And thanks for bringing in that up. I find that a huge struggle for myself right now is just keeping up with all of the messages, the emails, all the things. And it's like, I'm trying to farm at the same time. So the, this is just a conversation I hope we continue to have and open up about is just, especially as a farmer florist, is you're not only growing the flowers, but you're also doing the floristry end of the business, which takes up a lot. And just getting back to people in itself, I'm like midnight. Mm, Sorry, I didn't talk to you all day. But there's only so many hours in the day. So I'd love to know if you have any tips or tricks about prioritization or managing your day so you can get it all done because it is a lot. It is a lot. (laughs) How do we get it all done? You. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think through the years of this, finding grace within ourselves that, I mean, our to-do list, just like everybody else listening to this right now, is a mile long. And it's just the grace of to myself and to you. Yeah, you have to forgive what you can't get done. And know that tomorrow's a new day. I also was running myself ragged trying to answer all of the couples that were requesting flowers, like 
immediately, right? Like, and I, I've just had to let that go. I don't answer emails from Friday evening through Sunday. I don't because they wouldn't expect an office to have that. And so on Monday morning, thank you so much for your patience. You know, I'm super excited to look at your color scheme. Um, it's going to be a beautiful palette, like, and then go from there. But it's setting boundaries. And, you know, if you have a couple that reaches out who doesn't respect those boundaries, they're probably not a couple you want to work with, to be honest. when you first start out, you want to please everybody. And then pretty soon you realize you really can't. Um, You don't want to let an order go or, I mean, you just, you want to be the best supplier that you can, but you have to be, it also has to be manageable. Marlene, you nailed it. (laughs) That is so true. You know, I remember I was just hustling. I got to answer everything. I got to do everything. And now I feel like the tide pool is just like sucking me back down. I'm like, yeah, no. (laughs) I don't want to do that. Nope. And that's where it's great for our community to grow and more flower farmers be out there so that we can service everybody and keep more local flowers so that somebody down the road is better at X, Y, and Z. I don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to see Crystal take this and go with it because she's very driven, very, very driven. And she's learning how to do only what you can. And like we said before, or forgive what you can't. I'm a tad bit of a recovering perfectionist, Michelle. <laughs> and um, I she did not get it from her mother either. <laughs> and I just kind of think that farming, and I'm guessing just running a business itself, just kind of knocks you down a peg or two that you can't be a perfectionist all the time. You can't without just being all consumed. We started this because it was fun and we got to keep that in there. 100%. And that's what I keep trying to tell myself, especially in this, I feel like this year of growth for me is that I got to continue to love this. If this is like draining me Mm -hmm. and my family, I got to reevaluate. It's not worth it. And it's just a good reminder to folks that as you start something new, you're super excited and you're just, you want to go, 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 but it's not really sustainable. And so it's always good to check in with yourself and see kind of where you're at in the process. I would love to hear you guys have conventional farms as well. And I come from a background where my family farmed conventional crops as well. So I'd love to hear if there's been any debate of being a fifth generation farm about farming flowers now versus soybeans or whatever it may be. So (laughs) very interesting. (laughs) But we actually we lease it out. So my grandfather her father was the last one to actually farm and once he got older uh, he started leasing it out and neither one of our husbands are farmers <laughs> so now after this they really don't want to be farmers <laughs> both very handy and we couldn't have done this the progress oh, yeah. and the expansion that we have without them but they're not farmers it has created some interesting you know my grandfather's passed away and he passed prior to us making this jump but there's still been some interesting conversations that have had to happen like our expansion the four acres that we fence it's a full seven acres it's kind of a weird spot but we had to break the lease with the gentleman who has been farming it for as long as I've been alive 50 years and well I'm not 50 well (laughs) I am (laughs) but it wasn't something that we took um lightly 
you know, it's it's his livelihood too, but we're trying to find out how do we, we, mom and I, make our mark on the farm and what is our legacy going to be for the farm? And we knew that we could do so much more with it than letting those seven acres, which the farm is much larger than that. I'm just talking about where we put our fenced area. I think that this is something that can grow. It's something that will be more profitable to us than the leasing of the property. And so there's still been some interesting conversations, some icky. I mean, let's be honest, it was icky breaking that lease. Well, Um, when you break traditional farming and somebody that's leased it for that many years has a hard time understanding that that is your land. I guess you can do with what you want (laughs) on your land. Um, And again, I think it's a generational thing. It's a new thing. I mean, nothing ever is going to stay the same. So if our idea of farming is flowers, then that's what we're going to do. And there's a demand for it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a huge demand for it in our valley. We wouldn't be investing what we did. Like, I don't think we mentioned this, Rochelle. We put in 1,600 peonies last fall. One of the differences that our farm has compared to our other local farmers, flower farmers here in the valley is we have the space. And so we are trying to take our niche of having the space and investing in perennials. And so, you know, we put in the 1600 peonies last fall, that'll be used for our florist orders, but it'll also be agritourism for a peony, you know, event. Um, Once they get big enough, we got a large order from Walter's Garden. Um, I think there's like a almost 200 baptisias that we're putting in this spring. And so we're we're really investing in the perennials because we have this space and that's a niche that we can fill that our other fellow farmers in the valley just don't have the space to do. And we have a great, I mean, the scenery around us is phenomenal. We're just so lucky to be where we're at. So the agritourism just fits. It, it, it was a natural thing. We really want to welcome people back to the farm. People want that connection with rural, the rural United States. They want to know not only where's the food coming from, but just any product that is coming from the land, flowers included, right? We're just lucky, like I, we're not just mom and I, but we're as flower farmers are lucky that our crop is beautiful, <laughs> right? It just is a good fit for us for the agritourism. Well, we want, we want to share the farm. It's a beautiful place. We're so fortunate to have this in the family. And we never forget that on a daily basis that we are so fortunate to have it. Well, it's such a beautiful legacy that you're cultivating this beautiful place that can be be such an exceptional spot for folks to come and enjoy and it's just really heartwarming to hear that story and going back to the the farming piece you know I love you guys I'm talking about all my family out <laughs> guys I do love you guys but they don't see me as a farmer the whole flower farming thing just seems like a backyard hobby mm-hmm. thing. in the past couple days the farmer who has the canola right next to us he stopped in and came walking down and here we are with our knives and our plugs right like popping them in like <laughs> we have all of these rows 200 foot rows and we're like plopping them in one by one and I was like a little bit different than yours you're kind of farming yeah. huh? and he goes yeah I have machinery yeah like, I don't think people realize just he seeded 40 acres in 10 minutes <laughs> yeah we put in a tray <laughs> So I, I, I don't think that people understand the hard labor 
that goes into this. I don't think this. they do. And you, and you know what? You know, I, I'm looking at you, Rochelle, right now on the screen and you're nodding your head. But you know what? Our job, especially with the agritourism, is to sell the romantic idea of flower farming. I don't need our guests who are coming in to know that I am covered in mosquito bites. I <laughs> am sweaty six days out of the week. You know, like, I don't need them to know that. I just want them to fall in love with the farm and the blooms and want that in their home. I want them to be like, oh, I just want fresh blooms in my home. <laughs> and I want them to know how hard they work. <laughs> I know how hard I'm working. And when somebody bulks at like a $2 a stem bloom and is like, that's too expensive. I can go to the grocery store. I'm like, have fun. Yeah. Good luck. I don't know. I, I get it. We have to sell the beauty. But at the same time, this is such a hard job. On Mother's Day, I had a lady pull in and she was like, oh, you're living my dream life. I'm like, do you want to trade? I'll go home and go to Mother's Day brunch and you can go make more flower arrangements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we hear that so time, and I'm sure you also get a lot of um, messages probably through your Instagram of people wanting to be hired for um, work. And it's just, you know, as much as I want to take them on, I'd love all, to hire all these people. Yeah. They always start off with, you're living my dream. And I was like, I don't think you fully understand what it means. And that's okay. It, it's, it's hard work. And I think almost everybody listening to this podcast right now knows just how hard of work it is. And well, when you consider a teeny little seed that you start in your basement and then you water it and then you move it over to a greenhouse and then you plant it and then you water it then you are one dollar <laughs> yeah there's a lot to the story that we need to tell and that's why i started this podcast because i want your voices out there so that whoever's tuning in and whoever will in the future whoever it may be that they can appreciate that stem and how much it costs and that's where you know i come from a conventional farming background and that was what was my beef as a child people not wanting to spend money on their food but the investment that goes into raising said crops is a lot and we need to value that and so I appreciate everything you ladies do and it's fantastic work and I just want to hear I want to get your voices out there so they can be heard and we can grow this love of local flowers so I love it. Well, we appreciate you inviting us on the podcast and giving a platform for other farmers like ourselves to be able to share their stories because um, we all are doing it, but we're all doing it just slightly different. And I love that. I love listening to the growers that you have on and what they have found to work for them. And then what doesn't work for them. It's always interesting. With that said, what's your most favorite flower and what are those flowers that you have already fired or are on the chopping block? Well, I know mom knows her, <laughs> mom knows her favorite flower. Uh, because it was my grandma's favorite flower. It was my mom's favorite flower. The old-fashioned gladiola. Top, top. So we are hoping that we can convert our florist this year to gladiola lovers. I'm thinking that maybe we like need to drop them off like a bunch and like be like, just design something. Yeah, and, I like, realize that they're hard to design with, but oh, they're so beautiful. They are. I like old-fashioned flowers. So... I think my favorite flower is a peony. I just think they're, I mean, I don't know. There's so many. Yeah, There's yeah. so many flowers that I like. <laughs> Hard to say. Um, as far as flowers that we have broken up with, honeywort is one that we broke up with. We just never could harvest it at the right time. Florists weren't interested in it. You pickers weren't interested in it. So we broke up with honeywort. Can you think of something else that we broke up with? 
we always go through about August and kind of walk through and it's like, and I can't tell you which zinnia, but we walked through and we had two different white zinnias, I think two years ago. And it was like, which one do we like better? And so, cause one kind of looked a little dirty, like even though it wasn't. And so we always try to walk through in August when we have the majority of things blooming and break up while they're there. <laughs> Crystal has a non-love affair with marigolds. <laughs> oh, I don't like marigolds. And honestly, the only reason that we grew them last year is because I had a bride who specifically wanted marigolds and I was like well I'll give it a try I still hate them but it was a beautiful bouquet and the florist absolutely loved them so we do have marigold seeds this year mm-hmm. so yeah Crystal just has to plug her nose because she hates how they smell actually I just make mom harvest them <laughs> so her hands can stink well I make her deadhead everything not deadhead but pinch pinch because yeah, mom doesn't like to I pinch. just can't do that to a plant so she pinches <laughs> I feel the same way about the pinching if it's oh you actually got your head snapped off that's okay but I just and then too you guys have like a shorter growing season correct and I'm way cool I would say I'm the Alaska of the Pacific Northwest because I'm pretty high up on the mountain and it's like to pinch it means that sets me back even more so I don't That's all right. You know, um, we have a good group of our flower farming friends that are across the state. Um, we'll give a shout out to Cindy, Andy, and Jen. And we were talking in our little group chat that we have in last year. Several times a day. Yeah, there's a lot of text. But last year, I was like, I'm not going to pinch the dahlias. And they're like, oh, Crystal, no, you need to pinch the dahlias. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to pinch them. And they were perfectly fine because like once you got the first stem, which they came early last year, like beginning of July, which is pretty early for us. And then you just harvest them and then they pinch from there. But the other girls were like, oh, no, you need to pinch. I'm like, mm, nah, yeah. we're, we're not going to. Our pinching is called harvesting. <laughs> yeah, at least with the dollies it was. And on that point, are you guys dealing with any pests? So you're growing in your greenhouses. How's that? And I'm just curious to learn a little bit more about what it's like to grow in my and what you're dealing with and struggling with. So I guess our last frost supposedly is May 22nd. Our first frost can happen like September end of September yeah is usually our growing um but this year we stopped having a frost at the beginning of May because of the expansion we did not have our poop in a group and so we didn't get things out quite as early as I would have liked to with the good weather that we had this winter we had snow from the beginning of November when it started snowing we had snow cover all the way until like end of March it took forever for it to melt which was a pain because we were planning on putting in the fence and it just never would melts. So as far as pesco, the aphids are what's really bad for us, especially and in the I poop. think we learned that lesson that we had roses in with the dahlias. And I think the roses brought the aphids in. Other than that, we didn't have pests until we put the roses. Not really. No, I think I think the roses that we had shipped in had aphids on them. I think because we are in rural farmland and the farmers around us, unfortunately, are not organic farmers, I think that there's a lot of spray going on that's controlling pests. So they're not really in our area because of that. As far as the aphids last year, we tried ladybugs, which they kind of, but at that point they were too far gone. And so then we ordered in um, some, is it minute, minute pirate bugs? 
I'm not sure how you say the first part, but we had those come in. They knocked yeah, it down. We just don't have a big pest problem. No, we don't. Except I mean, for the mosquitoes. Oh, yeah, mosquitoes, because we're on the backwaters of the river, so we have bad mosquitoes. So how does that work with the agritourism? I'm curious about the FYIs and the uh, FAQs that you have to send out to everybody. So bug zappers, a lot of citronella, tan. We supply bug spray We in our little reminder email. Because I mean, actually, 2021, we didn't have a lot of mosquitoes. Yeah. Last year was such a long, um, wet spring that we had a lot. I'm really hoping this year we don't have as many. My husband sprays the yard the day of an event. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a, a bother. <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes to get bit. No. No, something about mosquitoes. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> well, ladies, this has been so great. And I feel like I could talk to you forever. And so we may have to have a part two to this. But I'm just curious, got your your CSA, your self-serve, the wedding, the U-cut, the agritourism, with all of those lines of business, any kind of lessons learned or anything else that you'd like to share for our audience? The biggest thing, well, we've already kind of touched on finding your boundaries. Um, you know, I, I briefly brought up the, the weddings. One of the boundaries was is that I wasn't willing to give my weekends for full service. It just wouldn't be a good fit for my family. And not scheduling weddings early in the year. Yeah. Buying but, flowers for weddings when we don't have flowers. Knowing the boundaries, there's plenty of couples who are willing to come and pick up their flowers. We Our weddings last year was the same amount as our wholesale florist. Even though we weren't offering full um, service, there are plenty of people who are willing to come pick up their flowers. So for your listeners who are, oh, I don't want to do full service, but I want to get in on the weddings. People are willing to pick up the flowers. You don't have to do full service. So creating your boundaries there. Um, I also think just you have to be willing to try. It was really scary to deliver that first order to the florist because we didn't know. We didn't know what they were used to getting, right? Like, because we had never ordered flowers in from a wholesaler. So we didn't know what it was supposed to look like. And there's not a lot of information out there about how many are in a grower's bunch. And so it was being willing to look a little, what's the word? I don't want to say, yeah, like a newbie <laughs> to the florist. Because you know what? That has been tremendous for our company was moving to the florist orders. And so being willing to look like a newbie. Well, be willing to ask. Yeah. And be willing to ask. Let's just say Savannah wasn't the genuine kind person that she was. You know what? You're going to find another florist who is willing to share that information with you. Um, and I also think that growers need to know the florists really want our product. I mean, I would encourage folks to order flowers in once. And the amount of loss that florists have to account for that is lost in a box that is being transported for however many days, they have to account for that. And they're losing money on it. And There's they want our loss. product. Zero loss with, you know, local farmers. They're not going to bring you a flower that's not That's all moldy and gross. And I mean, florists are, they want our product. Don't get stuck in your head that it needs to be a long stem. Just let your florist know. Like, hey, you know, the, the milkweed is only eight inches tall or whatever it is. And if you let them know that, they probably have something that they can use it for. Now that I've rambled on a little communication. bit. Communication. Communication. Being Honesty. willing to try new things and setting your boundaries. There's room for everybody's business, how they want to run it. There's room for it somewhere. There's somebody that wants your product, how you want to put it out there into the world. 
I absolutely love that. You know, like we talked about earlier, it's easy to, you know, get in that little spot in your head where you're like, I got to do everything. I got, you know, to sell my flowers. I have to do this. I have to do that. But it's good to go Mm -hmm. slow and to try to figure it out like we've talked about. And like you said, the shorter stems, you can get so stuck on looking on Instagram or other looking at other flower farmers. And I've kind of stepped back from following other flower farmers because I just was judging myself way too hard. Yes. And it's like I can sell a shorter stem in that garden bunch that nobody gives a crap <laughs> if it was an 18 inch yeah. stem. Yeah. So. <laughs> They're going to cut it off anyways, right? So got to kind of step away from it and just take the creative side a bit. I just really appreciate your time. It's been so grand just to talk to fellow flower farmers, also those that are coming from a conventional farm wisdom as well. And so, yes, as folks are curious to follow you for inspiration, how may they find you? Or if they're local and wanting to have a destination wedding, how can they reach out to you? Sure. So our Instagram handle, which I'm probably the most active on that, is two, which is spelled out, T-W-O-K-A-Y-S flower farm so 2k's flower farm is where you can find us on instagram it's where you can find us on facebook we also have a newsletter that you can sign up for on our website and also on our website you can go ahead and look at our a la carte offerings for that destination wedding in beautiful glacier park marlene any last words of wisdom you'd like to share well no mainly a thank you we're just so grateful for you and sharing this information and thank you it is my pleasure you know as i was working out in the field and just hungry for my circle of friends that I didn't know existed. I started this podcast and it yeah it's extra work for me but it has been such a lifesaver for me and I really am really committed to sharing these stories so that local flowers become a conversation at every coffee table dinner table as they have local flowers on said table. Yes. Well thank you ladies and uh, we will talk again again soon. I appreciate you. you. Thank you, Rochelle. I just want to say thank you again to Crystal and Marlene for such a great conversation and just their willingness to share all of their lessons learned and just all of the things that they've tried along the way that they've learned from. And I loved it best when Marlene said, do what you can and forgive what you can't. It's so true. In flower farming, it's easy to get stuck in, I should be doing this to generate this X amount of money and I'm not successful if I don't grow this and that's not the case. You have to figure out what works for you, your lifestyle, your work-life balance, your customers, and it's really your business to make your own. And I just really want to say thank you again to Crystal and Marlene for just this great conversation. And I will be talking with you guys again next week. Take care. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in to the conversation. And together, all boats will rise and local flowers will be blooming fabulous in all of our communities. So if you are a fellow flower farmer that want to join in on the conversation, please reach out to us to get you scheduled for a podcast episode. And if you're just listening in and enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, your family, and everybody you know. We really appreciate it. Thank you.